There's no actual woman somewhere who's going to appear on that day, and the guests who are us will be on the sides watching her walk down the aisle. That's not the type of wedding we're talking about. But let's talk weddings. Is that right? Can we talk weddings for five minutes? Um, I have done three in this parish, I think four maybe in this parish. And um, for each of those couples, we've gone through the vows that they're going to be making for each other as part of the marriage preparation. Um, it's an excuse for me to try cooking, and it's an excuse for, for me to have a chat with them. So they come, they are inflicted with the food that I've prepared. If they're lucky, my wife does the cooking, and they enjoy their meal. And then for an hour, um, we just go through the wedding service. I have three sessions with them. We read through the service once at each of those, and on the fourth one is their rehearsal. And the vows they make to each other are the things that I point out to them every single time. Um, the vows that they make to each other have nothing to do with the, uh, what the other person is going to do. They have everything to do with you, the person, making the vow. And that's the thing I point out to them. Um, uh, I will do this and 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 this until death us do part. I will. Nothing to do with what the other person says. And that type of promise is, is not a contract that you sign to say, if you keep your end of the bargain and never put a spoon in the sink when I've just finished cleaning it, I will keep my end of the bargain and never lose my rag. It's, that's a contract. This type of uh, promise is one that says, you could be the most untidiest person and I'll only find that out once we're living together for five years and you've kind of relaxed into it. Do you see what I mean? And I will still love you the same. It's a scary thing, and I, I put it as hard as that for the couples that I'm going to do their wedding because I think commitment's important. And the challenge of the wedding itself isn't the ceremony, it's the years that follow where the idiot next to you is staying an idiot. And you have to stay loving. So uh, my hope always is that when they, we're getting to that third session, they come slightly trembling. You, you laugh, but that's my hope. I want them to get there thinking, oh my, um, what am I going to do and be like when this emotion that I'm feeling right now uh, fades slightly? What am I going to be like when I'm working in an office and the, the man or woman I work next to is absolutely stunning and I go home and my husband hasn't shaved his beard? Commitment demands that you will be loving and true to your vows at that point. Does that make sense? Why do I hammer this in? Because marriage itself isn't just about the two people who are getting married. It is an arrow, not a full stop. So if we make it a full stop, it becomes so important that we miss what it's supposed to point towards. I say this to all the couples whose weddings I've done. You will fail at being a husband and you will fail at being a wife. Better know that now. Why? Because the thing that makes your marriage successful is the God who's at the center. Why? Because you won't truly forgive unless you're constantly being forgiven. You won't truly love unless you're constantly being bathed in love. Whoever forgives, has been forgiven much, forgives more. So brace yourself, be ready to say sorry loads of times. So I say this to say this. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. 
that doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a perfect husband that doesn't exist. No such thing as a perfect wife that doesn't exist. If you're married right now, breathe. Yeah, just... Yeah. If you're single right now, enjoy it. <laughs> Why? Why am I saying this? Because it's not a full stop. It's an arrow. It points us towards something. And what does it point us towards? It points us toward this long conversation between God and humanity. This long conversation between God and humanity. And to, to give us an idea of what's like, let me just use this building as an example. Most of our churches have a bit of their template taken from the Jewish temple, the old temple, where you have a court where you gather, you have a bit here where you guys come, you have a bit here where just some people come, like if you're on the band, if you're leading the service, maybe you come here. And then you have the bit over there which people are really nervous about going into. Well, why is it that people are nervous about going into that space? It's part of the same building. The architecture of the building funnels us towards a place where the air is supposed to be just a bit thinner, where an encounter with God is supposed to be just a bit more possible. And actually, that sense of going somewhere holy makes people go, oof, I don't know, don't know if I want to go there. And in the Jewish temple, if you were going to the holy of holies, the most sacred place, they'd tie a rope around you. Because if you went there without confessing your sins, what happened? You would die straight away. Because the wages of sin is death. And in a place where there's holiness, you just get paid straight away. You know, there's no delay. And people would not risk it. So they'd, they'd pull you out with the rope. Pull you out with the rope. Something beautiful happens when Jesus dies on the cross. And I'll return to it again a bit later. Um, as soon as he dies, the earth shakes. And one of the things that happens when the earth shakes is the curtain that split that holy place from this place is cut and opened. Which means that all of you now have access to that place. So can you hear the long conversation of God and humanity? I don't want you to be way over there when I am way over here. Adam, I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. Hey, how was your day today? Oh, I found this thing. It quacked a bit, so I called it a duck. Oh, that's what I made you to do. Oh, I found this thing. It roared. It was a bit loud. I was like, that's cool. I'll call it a lion. That's what I made you to do. Adam, I don't want you to be over there while I am over here. So when all-knowing God comes into the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding, what does he say first? It's not that he doesn't know what's going on. Where are you? Why? Because you're supposed to be next to me. The goal of this whole thing that God is doing is intimacy with him intimacy with him. You are supposed to know God fully. And in knowing God fully, knowing yourself. Because God already knows you. The goal is intimacy. And this is a rich kind of intimacy. The kind that um, I pray for the couples that I do their wedding, that one day they'll be 
silver in their kitchen and they'll know each other so well that they won't even say much. They won't even listen to the music, but they'll be swaying. And they'll look at each other, catch a glance, and speak a thousand things without saying anything. That's the kind of intimacy, the texture that I'm talking about here, where Jesus looks you straight in your eye, and you know that he knows everything about you, the broken, the, 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 the incredible, the, the not so incredible. I've got blisters on my feet from walking. Um, uh, if you really want to know me, you'd have to see them. Yeah? Does that make sense? You don't know what I'm going through until you see them. Uh, the, there is something about intimacy that involves me going to that vulnerable space. That's what makes that scary. But that's the goal. So, conversation about the bride is a conversation about you and me being invited into that intimate space where we will be fully known and we will fully know God. We'll be fully known and we'll fully know God. And the beautiful part about speaking about this is I can actually tell you that Jesus fell in love. Jesus fell in love when he thought about you. Jesus fell in love when the idea of you crossed his mind. It's like, oh gosh. Wow. Katie. He fell in love. And the years before he was born, all he could think of was, I just cannot wait until they know that I know them this well. I can't wait until they know me. He fell in love. And the story of the Old Testament is the story of his pursuit, his pursuit of his people to draw them into that intimate space, his pursuit to claw them back. So the love that he has for them is from the beginning. And when you meet Adam and Eve and they decide to go somewhere else and be somewhere else, the story of his pursuit, the story of his love is this promise to Eve in you, from you, is going to come someone who is going to destroy this thing that's come between us. It's hidden in the curse. Jesus was in love. He was so in love. He was so in love. He was so in love. When Israel went to Egypt uh, and um, they were looking for food, and after a couple of years, the Egyptians went, hmm, a workforce, and made them slaves. The story of love. What did the story of love say? I love these guys so much, I cannot stomach the idea of them being slaves. So here I am, I'm going to pursue them. And this pursuit of this people who are enslaved is going to be like a bunch of roses that I'm going to give to Ruth Newton-Jones so that she knows that she's loved by me from the very beginning. The record of his acts, of his pursuit, is all in there. It's all in there. When they did something wrong and things went bad, he rocked up and he was like, I'm still here, I'm still your God. I'm still here, I'm still your God. When they uh, were worshipping idols and they went into exile, he came by his prophets, I'm still here, I'm still your God. There's a story of uh, this prophet named Amos. For all you guys here who want to follow God and do God's work, hear the story of this man. God says to him, go and marry a prostitute so that you can symbolically say to Israel who it is that I am for them. Despite who you are, 
My love for you is so rich. I am going to keep pursuing. And then the day came when Jesus, uh, who was still very much in love, was going to come and be born and be part of this space, walking with us. And he was. And if you want to read how loving he was, look at, pick any of the Gospels. It would take you probably about an hour and a half to read one of them. Just read it. See what love looks like. The invitation into intimacy. But, and this is where our bride conversation becomes um, deep for me. When uh, William got married, he didn't have to pay dowry because the woman he married was able to say, "Uh, yeah, when he proposed, yeah. There was nothing to be paid. When Harry got married, there was nothing to be paid. When Jesus was due to get married, um, his bride was in slavery to death. So for love, what did Jesus do? And if you want to know that the Bible has its patterns, like those matryoshka dolls, you know those Russian dolls, you open and it's another one on the inside, you open and you can just keep going. Yeah, I want you to just catch this. Yeah? The price of our freedom was death. Yeah? So on the cross, to make sure that Jesus had died, they took a spear, and where did they pierce him? Say it aloud if you know it, don't be shy. On this side, isn't it? Yeah? That made sure that, for certain, this man is dead. Blood mixed with water, sprayed out. And doctors now will tell you that that's clear evidence that whoever it is has died. Yeah? Go back to Adam in the beginning. How does Eve come about? It goes into a sleep. And what happens? Something from his side is taken out. And something beautiful is made out of it. We are here because of that wound to the side of our Savior that ensured that he went into death, that place that had held us captive to set us free. And when we eat and drink of it, we remember his death, which is our bride price. We remember his death, which is our bride price. We remember his love, his long pursuit of us. That's why when he rose, he was so full, you know. He rocked up and he was like, peace be with you. And he did so much. So many people saw him alive. He was excited. It's like, oh, guys, I've paid the bride price. The engagement is now for sure because the ring, the Holy Spirit, can now come and fall upon you to guarantee you of the future that is to come. So... You're all wearing the ring now. All of you who have received the Holy Spirit. The groom is excited because he's paid the bride price. And between now and then, we are waiting as the wedding is being planned. And to, to keep us excited about what's to come and to remind us of what's gone before, he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so that you know that I paid the price for your freedom. And you can see that I have loved you and all these flowers that I've given you. And actually in your own life, you can detect the little dates that you've had with him where from time to time he popped up and he was like, I'm going to make your heart feel to know that I am here.
The wedding's going to come. But it won't be a woman dressed in white. It'll be you, as you are. It'll be you, as he is making you and forming you to be. It'll be you who has been loved from the foundation of the earth. And when the sun sits and looks out at the guests, whom he knows and who know him, who know each other and love like he does, he will see something utterly beautiful. Utterly beautiful. A bride fit for the king of kings. And this is where the, the wedding metaphor finds its fulfillment. Because from then onwards, you will be one. One with God. One with God. Theologically, that is mind-blowing because you will be one with the person who made heaven and earth and everything. You'll be one with the eternal one, so he can actually show you before as much as he can show you forward. You'll be one with him. That's an amazing thing. But for now, in this in-between space, his call is for commitment, which is the way his family works. I have loved you from way before, regardless of who you have been. I have stuck with you and I have been faithful to you. And in this time, between now and that day, all I'm asking for you to do is be faithful to. Be committed in your loving and remember the price that I paid for you. Is that okay, Bride of Christ? Yeah. I think my, my hope today was to tell you that you were loved from the very beginning. You were purchased for a great price. You were purchased to receive love. Absolutely. And you were purchased not to be shelved somewhere to be displayed. You were purchased to be part of a family. Part of a family. An equal heir to the family. Just like when someone is married into a family, they become part of that family. An equal person in that family. Is that okay? Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to worship, and then we're going to share communion.